0: Well, it is Palm Sunday, and so I'd like to read Matthew's account of the triumphal entry. It's Matthew chapter 21. This morning we heard Mark's account, and uh, this evening, Matthew. It's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when something is, is written for us four times, we know its, it's great importance. Matthew chapter 21, and i begin to read at the first verse. Let's hear the word of God. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise and he left them and went out of the city to bethany where he spent the night can i invite you to turn with me to romans and chapter 12 we've been working our way through this chapter on sunday evenings and we have arrived at verse 11 but i want to read to you from verse 9 to verse 13 because it's a unit Romans 12 and verse 9, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honour one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, Faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. As I say this evening, we will look at verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Every Christian should have a real interest in the events of the last week of Jesus' life on earth that culminated in his death and his resurrection we have four detailed records in our Bibles of this one week in the history of the world Matthew gives us chapters 21 to 27 Mark gives us chapters 11 to 15 Luke gives us chapters 19 to 23 and John gives us chapters 12 to 19 That's a total of 25 chapters, 25 chapters in the Bible devoted to these last seven days in the life of the Lord Jesus. That's a challenge, isn't it? If so much of God's word is devoted to this last week of Jesus' life, then we ought to have a great interest in what happened. We need to study these chapters. Have you done that? Have you read these chapters? If you haven't ever read those chapters, just sat down and read one of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, then I'd encourage you this week to do that. Just sit down, perhaps just one day, sit and read all of those chapters. It won't take you very long. And just see the events that happened during those last seven days of our Lord's earthly life before his crucifixion. Then afterwards, of course, each of the gospel writers Gives us another chapter, or sometimes two, (coughs) on the resurrection. That also is significant, but we will consider that next week, God willing. We're all familiar with the triumphal entry, as we call it, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. All four of the gospel writers record that. But what happened next? That's important, isn't it? What happened next? It's one thing to come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and to hear the hosannas and to have all the palm branches and the cloaks on the, on the road in front of him. But what did Jesus do when he got into the city of Jerusalem? Well, we're told that he looked around. Mark tells us that there wasn't any time to do anything else that day. So he went out to Bethany. And I presume that he stayed with his friends, Lazarus, Mary and Martha, who lived in Bethany, which wasn't very far away from Jerusalem, just over the Mount of Olives. But then the next day he came back into Jerusalem. And what did he do then? Well, he cleared the temple area. We read that, didn't we, in Matthew chapter 21 <clears throat> and verse 12. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out All who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Wouldn't have expected that, would you? Triumphal entry into Jerusalem. What would you have expected Jesus to do? To have taken the praises of everybody and to simply have perhaps quietly got on with his work. No, there was nothing quiet about what Jesus did. He came and overturned the temple benches where they were buying and selling. It's it's written, my house shall be a house of prayer, and you have made it a den of robbers, he says. And then he healed the uh, blind and the lame. Then he stirred up the chief priests and the teachers quoting the Old Testament to them because they were unhappy that the children were singing their hosannas to Jesus. So so the Lord Jesus quoted the Old Testament to them. From the mouths of babies and infants, you've ordained praise, he says. And then he left for Bethany again. Now, we ought to be amazed at what Jesus did. The surprising things that Jesus did. He almost seems to be deliberately drawing attention to himself. And he is. Up until now, the Lord Jesus has remained in quiet places. He knew that people were trying to arrest him. He knew that people were trying to put him to death. But every time up until now, he has withdrawn. But now he is deliberately showing them that he has come in order to purify and we should be amazed at the zeal and the energy of the Lord Jesus, his boldness and his authority. And When we look at Jesus and we see him there, it shows up our sluggishness so often in the things of God. And that's what our text tonight is addressing. This tendency that we have to become sluggish in the things of God to just become quiet and lazy even in spiritual things. We're told in this verse that we are essentially to stir ourselves up. We see that in Jesus, you see. We see him stirring himself up. It would have been much easier for Jesus not to have gone back to the temple that next day. He'd seen all of that on the, on the Sunday Sunday. He could have just remained in Bethany quite quietly with his friends, couldn't he? But no, he deliberately went back into Jerusalem in order to confront the people who were not living in the way that God, his father, had told them to. So there's zeal and there's energy in the Lord Jesus. And this verse 11 is telling us that we must stir ourselves up in zeal and spiritual fervor. In our service of the Lord. Now we need to see this verse in the context of the whole chapter. And remember, this chapter has begun by telling us that we are new people in Jesus. We have received mercy from God. By being converted, by coming to Christ, we have been transformed. And we need to constantly be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We mustn't end up being conformed to this world. We are new creatures in the Lord Jesus. A Christian is a new person. And there is a constant need for our minds to be renewed by the word of God so that we behave and live in accordance with our new life in Christ. So it's not just a, this this chapter 12, is not just a collection of helpful encouragements. This is a chapter that is speaking to those who have been transformed by the Lord Jesus and who have received the mercy of God in salvation. These verses are telling us how we are to live. You see, we, we believe strongly that a person is saved by faith. That is quite true. And we're, we're so strong on that. We are saved by faith. We are saved by believing in the Lord Jesus. But we must be very careful we must not assume then that because we're saved by faith, we can just continue in our lives and live however we wish to live. We can't. There is an obligation on us. Once you are saved by the faith, by faith and by the grace of God, then you have an obligation to live in obedience to God. And an obedient life is the working out of our salvation. So we're told about various relationships in these verses, aren't we? In verse 3, we're told about our relationship with ourselves. We mustn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought. In verses 4 to 8, we're told about our relationships within the church, that we are to use the gifts that God has given us. And then in verses 9 to 13, we're told about our relationships with other believers in the church, our duties that we have as Christians towards one another and verse 11 gives us three short and sharp commands the niv tries to link them together and that's not a bad thing to do but originally they are three very short and sharp commands and uh, originally we, we should see them as these these three short commands do not be slothful in zeal Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. That's the ESV, and and it's very good. It, It gives those three separate commands. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. And it's all saying the same thing. It's saying, stir yourself up in serving the Lord Jesus. But each one of these statements does progress to the next one and adds a little more to what's being said and culminating in the wonderful command to serve the Lord. So let's have a look at these three commands because we are very easily discouraged, aren't we? And particularly in the year that we've just passed through, it is so easy to become discouraged in the Christian life. It's so easy to become discouraged in the church. There are many things that lead to that. So, I think we need this, this little verse, and we need to remind ourselves of it often. First of all, we're told, stir yourself up. That's really what it means in verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal. Um, there are many ways of putting this. In diligence, not slothful, someone says. Someone else says, never lag behind in enthusiasm. I like that particularly, never lag behind in enthusiasm. Don't become weary in doing good is another way of putting it. But it's all saying the same thing. It's saying stir yourself up. Now let's think about that a moment. There are many reasons why you and I might become sluggish, might slacken off in our energy, and in our enthusiasm for Christian things. We mustn't neglect, first of all, sometimes we forget this, we mustn't neglect personality. You know, we're not all the same. Every one of us has a different personality. And some people are very bubbly by personality, aren't they? They're very active people, they're very busy people. Other people are quieter, more timid, less enthusiastic than others. Sometimes it's a matter of personality. Some people are more easily discouraged than others. Their nature is sort of inclined towards that. They're more reticent. And we need to recognize that. We mustn't assume that everybody is like us. It would be a very sad church if everybody were exactly the same in personality. But we can sometimes expect others to behave like us. And we neglect the fact that they may have a different personality. We're not all Apollos. You remember Apollos in the book of Acts? We read of him in Acts chapter 18 and verse 25. Now, Apollos was one of those people who was a busy, busy person, an active person. He was very much a doer. He was really enthusiastic. Acts chapter 18 and verse 25. He, that's Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor. He was spiritually fervent. His spirit was a very busy, active one. He spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. He was one of these men who who had to be doing. He was a very busy sort of person. That was his personality, He would have been like that if he hadn't become a Christian. And some people are like that, aren't they? And then there's others who are quieter. You think of someone in the Bible like Timothy. Timothy was a much more timid person. In 2 Timothy and chapter 1, this is what we read of of Timothy. This is what Paul says to him. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame, The gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. This reason I remind you to fan into flame. Stir yourself up, Timothy is saying. Later on in the book, he has to say, don't let anybody look down on you because of your age, your youth. And then later on he says, take a little wine for your stomach. Timothy seems to have been a very timid person, very reticent, quiet. He was like that because of his personality. And if you're like that, you are much more inclined to become discouraged in your walk with God. We are all different and we need to recognize this. And it will avoid all sorts of troubles in the church if we realize that not everybody is like us. And so we ought not to expect everybody to behave in the same way. Having said that, though, we all need to stir ourselves up. There are other reasons why we might become discouraged and sluggish. We mustn't neglect that we do have an enemy. The devil is a great enemy of your soul. And the devil can trouble you. The devil can cause you to feel very downcast and make you very sluggish in your, in your walk. He can tempt you to think all sorts of things. Remember this morning we were talking about a uh, Christian in the dark valley. And, and at one point he hears a voice behind him whispering all sorts of terrible things. And he feels that it's his own thoughts. And he almost feels that he has said those things himself. Well, that's the work of the devil, isn't it? In suggesting things, in attacking us. And, you know, the devil can get to you. He can say to you, oh, uh, you don't feel well enough this morning. You don't don't feel like reading the Bible today. How many of us have felt that, you know? Oh, I don't really feel up to reading the Bible today. Oh, I, I can't pray today. Oh, I, I can't really... Go and meet up with other Christians for prayer and worship and to hear God's word. I'm really not up to that. Sometimes, you know, that is the suggestions of the devil. And not only is it the devil, but there are discouragements as well, aren't there? There are many reasons why we become sluggish in the Christian life. There are discouragements that we face. Trials and tribulations that we go through. Every one of us does. And they can sometimes weigh very heavily on us. And some people are easily discouraged and become very depressed as well. Some become very half-hearted in their walk with the Lord. We need to recognize this. There are things that cause this sluggishness in our Christian life. So what's the remedy? There are many causes, but what's the remedy? Well... The first one is here in this first phrase, and it's quite a straightforward command. In in fact, in some ways, there's nothing spiritual about this at all. It's a very practical and a very natural thing. The Apostle Paul is saying, stir yourself up. Stir yourself up. Don't be lacking in zeal rouse yourself would be another way of putting it so we can do this in many different ways can't we for example how many of us recognise this sort of experience you wake up in the morning and uh, you think to yourself I don't really feel too good today and you say I'm not feeling good I can't go to work I can't go to school today I'm just not feeling up to it but then after a little while you start talking to yourself. I've got to do that. So you shake yourself, don't you? Well, the greatest battle that everybody has in life, the first battle of every day is simply getting out of bed. But you've got to do it. It's always the first challenge of the day. You've got to rouse yourself. You've got to talk to yourself. And you've got to get dressed. You've got to have something to eat. You've got to say, I will do it. I've got to do it. And I will do it. And it's surprising, isn't it, how you can then do these things. You've you've stirred yourself up. You see, sometimes we are sick and we we don't doubt that. There are times when we really are sick. But it's also true, isn't it, don't you recognize this, that you're never as sick as you think you are. There's always this little amount of every sickness that is a psychological thing that you can overcome, If you try, you could give in to it, or you could say, I'm going to fight it. Yes, you're not well, that's true. But there's that psychological bit, isn't there, on top of the sickness, really. And you can say, well, I'm going to force myself to do this because I'm going to do it. I want to do it. And that's what we're being encouraged to do here, isn't it? It's a very real thing, and we don't doubt this. It's a very real thing, though, that many Christians on a Sunday... They'll wake up and they will feel pretty rotten on a Sunday. We all know that experience sometimes it's the result of the whole week that has passed and and suddenly a Sunday when there's a bit of relaxation, and the body just is right i i'm going to rest now and you know it's very tempting isn't it on the, on a sunday to say oh i'm just i'm just too too bad I, I can't go to church today. I can't read my Bible today. I can't pray today. I'm not really feeling up to it. And you generally feel like that. But then what happened on a Monday morning? On a Monday morning, you wake up, say, oh, I'm not feeling too great. Oh, but I've got to go to work. I've got to go to school. And you force yourself to do it. Now, what the word of God is saying is do that in spiritual things as well. When you feel like that on the Lord's day, don't give in to it. Say, I'm going to stir myself. These things are important to me. They're important to my brothers and sisters. There are times when we are too ill. And in these days, we've got to be very careful. I don't doubt that. What I'm saying is there's always that extra bit that you can just push yourself if you decide to. And that's exactly what this verse is saying. Don't Be sluggish in zeal. So that's the first thing. The Christian must do this. Christian must make sure that they don't become sluggish and discouraged. That's so important for us over this last year, isn't it? We're looking ahead, aren't we, to what might be the case. Say in the next few weeks, a few months, it's going to be really important that we actually stir ourselves up in the work of the Lord Because otherwise, what sort of a church will we have in another year's time or two years' time? It's very easy, isn't it? It's very easy for us with live streaming. It adds another element, doesn't it? Because with the live streaming, it is all too easy for us. I've said it myself. Oh, wouldn't it be much easier just to sit down and to watch today? Because it is easier. And that's a wonderful facility for those who really can't come out. But we need to be careful. These things can so easily help us to become sluggish in the Christian life. Let's not allow that to happen. Let's think about the sort of church that the Lord would have us be in the next few months. Anyway, I've said a lot on that first part. I think that's important. It's a very natural thing, isn't it? Stir yourself up. But then there's a, there's a next thing. Keep your spiritual fervor. Keep your spiritual fervor. What's this about? This means earnestly seek the Spirit's help. Earnestly seek the Spirit's help. You see, um, I think it should be a capital S. It can be a capital S or a little s. It's either talking to you about your human spirit. uh, Keep your spiritual fervor. That's how the NIV puts it. Or it can be speaking about being fervent in the Holy Spirit, in the Spirit. I think probably that's a better translation. You see, we say, well, how can I do this? How can I stir myself up? I, I don't have the strength to do that. There's a sense in which you don't. Because anything spiritual must come from God. And, and this is specific to a Christian man or woman or young person. You have the Holy Spirit within you. Never forget that. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you not know that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 3, 16, very important verse. Do you not know that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And then think about the Apostle Paul in Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You and I need spiritual strength. And that is going to come not from ourselves. It's going to come from God. But never forget, you have the Holy Spirit with you. And so you can be fervent in spiritual things. Now that little word, fervent, keep your spiritual fervor. Be fervent in spirit. I think that word fervent is a little bit too tame, really. The word means to be on the boil. Think about a kettle that is boiling. Think about the energy that there is in that kettle as it boils away there. That's the word that the Apostle Paul is using here. It's a word that means to boil. Keep on the boil spiritually, I think, would be another great translation, wouldn't it? Another translation of that word is to be aglow, to be on fire, to be aglow with the Spirit. And that's the idea. We are to keep on the boil with the Spirit of God. We're to be aglow with the Spirit. But how can you do that? How can you stir yourself up spiritually? Well, think about the Lord Jesus Think about his life. He spent his time communing with his father, didn't he? He spent much time with the father. He prayed and he sought the help of the Holy Spirit. In his human nature, he needed the spirit of God's help to do this. And so do you and so do I. But we can seek that help. We all know something about this, don't we? We know something about being on the boil and being aglow. Think about when you were converted. For many of us, when we were converted, there was in those early days and perhaps months and even years, there was this sense of being on fire, this sense of being in this relationship with the Lord Jesus that was so new and fresh and powerful, and our hearts were really aglow with God. Like John Wesley, you remember that John Wesley, that he was a Church of England vicar, a minister, a preacher, but he wasn't converted. He didn't know the Lord Jesus at all for himself. He didn't know Jesus as his own saviour. He couldn't say that Jesus had saved his soul. And then one day he went into that little meeting house in London and he heard someone simply reading the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. He wasn't even reading the Bible. He was reading an introduction to a commentary on the Bible. And you remember the words of John Wesley, then I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did trust in Christ and in him alone for salvation. That was his experience, and that may have been your experience as well. When you first come to know the Lord Jesus, you are on fire for him. Your heart is strangely warmed. And what we're being told here is, stir that up again. Don't let that go cold. Seek the Holy Spirit's help in these things. He will help you if you call upon him. You need to realize that the source of Christian enthusiasm is not human, it's divine. If we're ever going to be set on fire, it is by the spirit and not by ourselves. So the Bible tells us, do not quench the spirit. You know what it is to quench something, don't you? It's to pour cold water over it. It's a flame. And then the water comes and nothing but steam. It's gone. The fire is put out. We must never do that with the Holy Spirit. We've never quenched the Spirit's flame. If we sin and we continue to sin and we resist the Spirit, that's going to end up quenching him, isn't it? Neither are we to resist the Spirit. The Bible says, don't resist the Spirit. When you feel the promptings of the Holy Spirit, don't resist the Spirit. the man who was a pastor in the church here many years ago, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, he said something very interesting one many occasions, he said it. If you ever feel prompted to pray, pray. Don't resist that urge to pray. Whenever the Holy Spirit prompts you to pray, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, always pray. Don't resist those promptings of the Spirit. Very important for us not to do that. We're not to grieve the Spirit either. Again, with the Holy Spirit, we must remember that he is a person. He's not a force. He's not a thing. He is a person. And the fact that he dwells with you and in you means that you have a relationship with him. And you know, with all relationships... How easy it is to grieve someone. How easy it is to do something or to say something and immediately you know that you've upset them. Immediately you know, oh, they're not going to speak to me now. I've really upset them now. And you've got to think, how can I put this right? Well, we must make sure that we don't do that with the spirit. You mustn't grieve the spirit by our words and our actions and our thoughts even. But if we're not to quench him, we're not to resist him, we're not to grieve him, what are we to do? We are to seek him and we are to seek to be filled with him and filled with zeal for enthusiasm for our life as Christians. There's some lovely hymns in our hymn book that, that speak about this, that sort of put them into words, really. Uh, 320 6 is is one of my favorites in this respect 326 come down o love divine and seek this soul of mine and visit it with your own ardor glowing o comforter draw near within my heart appear and kindle it your holy flame Bestowing. Oh, let it freely burn till earthly passions turn to dust and ashes in its heat consuming, and let your glorious light shine ever on my sight and clothe me round the while, my path illuming. What a great prayer that is! Come down, O oh love divine, seek this soul of mine, visit it with your own ardor. Glowing. Set my fi- heart uh-huh, alight, let it burn freely, let it consume all the passions of my heart so that it might shine ever with your glorious light. That was written by someone called Bianco de Siena in the 14th century. Think about Christians all those centuries ago, the 14th century. We would say, oh, the dark ages. No, they weren't dark. There were these wonderful beams of light coming from believers who knew what it was to stir themselves up in spiritual things and to seek the Holy Spirit to help them to do that. That is such a need for us. It is, you know, I sometimes wonder, not just this last year, but you think about the years that have gone before that. Think about five years, ten years, What a low level of spiritual life we have got used to. We so need to stir ourselves up to serve our God and our Lord, which brings us to the last point, doesn't it? Serve the Lord. We're to stir ourselves up, never be lacking in zeal. We're to earnestly seek the Spirit's help, but keep your spiritual fervor. But last of all, the high point, the summit of the lovely little, little hill that we've been climbing this evening. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. That really is the greatest motivation of all. You know, you, you, feel, you feel discouraged. Yes, we've all felt that. You feel that you're not too good. You, you feel that you can't really do much. Well, here's the greatest motivation. You're serving the Lord. You're serving the Lord. You've got a master. We can stir ourselves up. We can fan the flame of the Spirit's work in us. The great thing is to remember who you are. You are a servant of the Lord Jesus. What you're doing, you're doing for him, not for yourself. Remember that. Every When you come to church, say or when you open your Bible, or when you pray, or when you seek to live in obedience. Who are you doing it for? You say, well, I'm doing it for me. You're not really. All of those things are being done for Jesus. Everything we do must be done for Jesus. The work is not your work. It is his work. You know, we all fall into the terrible habit of saying, my church, my church. We all do that, don't we? But we need to check ourselves when we do that. It's not my church. It's Jesus' church. It's his church. It's his work. And we are bond slaves. That's the word here for servant. It's it's not the butler in the Downton Abbey. It's not that sort of a servant. This is a bond slave. This is someone who's been bought someone who is a slave because they have been paid for and they belong, body and soul, to their master. And you know, you do. You belong, body and soul, to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing that is. What a glorious master we have. It's not your work you're doing, it's his work you're doing. You've been bought at a price, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 6.19. You are not your own. You've been bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. 1 Corinthians 6:19 and 20. The work is his work. And what a privilege it is. You know, um, I mentioned John Wesley a little bit earlier on. Uh, he was greatly influenced by the Moravians in Germany. He went there to Herrnhut, a place where they had sort of established a, a Christian community. And and he went there. Now, the leader of the Moravians was a man called Count Zinzendorf. You'll find his name at the bottom of some of the hymns. But Count Zinzendorf, one day, he was looking at a painting. And it was a painting of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And he was studying this, and he was meditating upon the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And this is what he says he said, I felt that he was asking me this question from the cross. I have done this for thee. What hast thou done for me? It changed Zinzun's life because he realized that if the Lord Jesus Christ had died on the cross of Calvary for him, what was he doing for Jesus it's as if Jesus was saying, I've done this for you. What have you done for me? In the same vein, you remember the famous words of C.T. Studd. He was a great cricketer. Um, uh, and then he, he played in the very first Ashes tournament, the one where they, they burnt the, the, uh, the stumps and, and then produced a little urn and so on. He played. He was a great first-class cricketer. But he was a believer. And he became a missionary. And he said this. If Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Saying the same thing, isn't it? What a privilege it is to serve the Lord Jesus. What a wonderful thing it is to be a Christian. Don't ever let it become a burden to you. Don't ever become sluggish in your spiritual exercises. When you feel like that, remind yourself who it is that you're serving. When you find it so easy to slip back, have you forgotten the great privilege of being a Christian, of belonging in body and soul to Jesus Christ who died for you? That is the most wonderful privilege. We're serving the Lord. There's another thing that you must never forget. One day, there's going to be an accounting day. One day, you will stand before the Lord Jesus. Now, we are very strong, and rightly so. We are very strong in saying that when you're justified by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. And we must be very, very strong and clear on that. You and I will never stand Before the great white throne of judgment, we will never hear Almighty God condemning us to eternal hell because the grace of Jesus Christ has saved us from that. However, don't let that cause you to forget this 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians. Chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. It's really important that we don't forget that. There is going to be an accounting day for us as Christians. It's as if we will be called into our master's study and we will be asked, what have you done? What have you done with your life? I gave my life for you. What did you do with your life? How did you serve me? Of course, he knows the answer to that question. And we will receive what is due to us because of what we have done. that's why in the previous verse, The Apostle Paul says, so we make it our goal to please him. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it, we make it our goal to please him. We're serving the Lord. What greater thing there is. You know, it must be a terrible thing to go through life and to never really have a purpose, to never really know why you're here. Now, we know that many people create reasons they create purposes for themselves and and I guess that's what you have to do isn't it you have a cause that you work for and that you give all your energy to but in the end that's all going to disappear isn't it but for the christian we know what we're here for we know why we're alive we know what we've been saved for we've been saved to serve the lord jesus and he has always given us things to do so we must Simply do them. And the needs are all around us, aren't they? We live in a lost world that is perishing. And they need to see in us the hope of glory. They need to see that we have a message. We have a savior. They need to see us living amongst them as men and women and young people with confidence and with hope and with a purpose. We need to make them thirsty for the same things that we have. It doesn't mean that we've got to constantly be preaching to them. We just need to live our lives as Christians before them. We need to befriend them. And win that friendship to have those opportunities we trust to tell them of the reason for the hope that we have. Don't give them any excuse to pour scorn on Christ. They'll do that anyway. Don't fall into bad ways. Stir yourself up to live for Christ. Don't say, oh, that's the work of preachers, I'll leave it to them. No, 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 we all have a part to play. We need to do our part for the Lord. There's a lovely hymn um, in, in the old Christian hymns. They missed this, vote, this verse out in the new version. I'm sorry that they did. Um, Jesus, I, my cross have taken. Listen to this verse. Take, my soul, thy full salvation. Rise or sin and fear and care. Joy to find in every station something still to do or bear. Think what spirit dwells within thee. What a father's smile is thine. What a saviour died to win thee. Child of heaven, should thou repine, I guess it's those old words that they felt they would take out, but I think it's a lovely verse, isn't it? Joy to find in every station. Again, that's a little bit strange. It's not every railway station or bus station. It means in every part of your life, everywhere you find yourself. Joy to find in every station something still to do or bear. Sometimes you can't do much in the Christian life, but the way that you bear your difficulties, the way that you bear your sorrows, the way that you bear your sicknesses, even that will speak to other people. Think what spirit dwells within you. Think what a father's smile is yours. Think what a saviour who died to win you. Child of heaven, should you repine? Should you be sad? Should you become sluggish? No. Stir yourself up. Stir yourself up. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Be fervent in the Holy Spirit and serve the Lord. May God give us grace to live like that. Just close by reading a hymn, a, a closing hymn for an evening. This is another lovely hymn to, uh, to close the day with. Number 76. Glory to thee, my God, this night for all the blessings of the light. Keep me, O keep me, king of kings, beneath thine own almighty wings. Forgive me, Lord, for thy dear son, the ill that I this day have done, that with the world, myself and thee, I, ere I sleep, at peace may be. Teach me to live, that I may dread the grave, as little as my bed. Teach me to die, that so I may rise glorious at the judgment day. O may my soul on thee repose and may sweet sleep mine eyelids close, sleep that may me more vigorous make to serve my God when I awake. If in the night I sleepless lie, my soul with heavenly thoughts supply Let no ill dreams disturb my rest, nor powers of darkness me molest. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.